Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Support for the Juice on the Cues podcast comes from Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. Get 20% off and free shipping with code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGHEADS. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the 2019 early signing period and a look forward to the Syracuse basketball ACC schedule. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is Mike McAllister from CuseNation.com and 24-7 Sports. Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Yeah, I always love being on. Thanks again. Mike, I want to get you started on this one. The 2019 early signing period is over. Syracuse signed 18 new players, and I just wanted to get your overall thoughts on the guys Syracuse is bringing in. I think their class is very solid. Now, it, I think it's missing kind of that one big wow factor type of a recruit to make the class feel like they've taken a step forward. If you look in the past few years, like they've had a player like a Trill Williams, who was a four-star ranked in the top 200 Last year, they had a Cornelius Nunn, who four-star type of a player. This year, they were involved with some, whether it was Kate Fortin, the quarterback, or Kentron Poitier, the wide receiver from Florida, who picked Florida State. It feels like they're missing that one big fish in this class, and there's still a couple of months to get that guy. But um, otherwise, you know, I, I think the players that they've got in overall are either on par or a slight tip up from where they've been in the past. Uh, I think they've gotten a lot of guys with multiple Power 5 offers. I like the guys that they've gotten from Canada and from Germany that are maybe a little bit under the radar, and I think in a place like Syracuse, getting those types is important. So, And then, of course, grabbing guys along the offensive line, extremely important, as we saw those struggles this past season. So I think they've, they've done a really nice job. Uh, but, again, if, if they can shore up the quarterback position and grab one or two of those uh, maybe more high-profile, hyped type of guys, I think that would make uh, the fan base at large feel a little bit better about it. You know, Mike, I take a look at social media, and one of the biggest complaints I see is that Syracuse's class is still ranked in the 50s and is a middle-of-the-pack ACC team. One of my responses to that is Syracuse is recruiting to scheme and not necessarily going after the highest recruit. What do you say to those people when you want to talk them off the ledge a little bit? I say to look at a couple of things. One is, who is Syracuse beating? Right, So if you look back at what Doug Marone did in recruiting and what Scott Schaefer did in recruiting, and you compare them to what Dino Babers and his staff is doing in recruiting, not necessarily just at the rankings, although you can look at those because they have a lot of fluctuations. They'll have a year where they're in the mid-50s followed up by a year, a year in the low 70s. 
Well, that type of fluctuation you're not having here with Dino Babers. It's consistently in the low to mid-50s. So there's uh, some consistency, which I think is, is a good thing. But then also looking at some of those players that the last two regimes were getting and even going back into the Greg Robinson era, um, Syracuse was beating largely Mac schools, some FES schools, and those types of things, and the Power 5 wins were not nearly as prevalent as they are now. So the fact that you're getting more and more players that are Power 5, uh, that have multiple Power 5 offers, I think that shows you that the quality of what you're getting is a little bit better. The other thing to remember is, quantity plays a big factor in rankings as much as quality does. Syracuse's class last recruiting cycle, the 2019 recruiting cycle, was a little bit on the smaller side than than some of these schools that take 25 to 30 players every single class. Syracuse may only end up taking 24 or 25, but then again, some of those might be transfers that don't factor into recruiting rankings. So there's a lot of things to consider when you're looking at the recruiting rankings. And if you get, are they getting positions of need? Are they getting guys that fit the systems that they run? And are they getting guys with multiple power five offers? If you check those boxes and then start to win consistently, the improvement in the recruiting rankings will happen, but it does take time. One of those guys who doesn't factor into the 2020 recruiting rankings is Chris Bleich, an offensive line transfer from Florida. Syracuse initially recruited him two years ago, and the Orange was actually his first Power 5 offer. He fills a big need for Syracuse, especially if he's granted a waiver and can play right away with Evan Adams graduating. Mike, what do you think of his skill set, especially because you've followed him since he was a junior in high school? Anytime you can get a guy who started multiple games for an SEC team that spent a good chunk of the year in the top 10 in the rankings, I think that's obviously a huge boost to your roster, and especially with the issues that they had along the offensive line last year and the fact that your only senior, your only starter that you're losing off of that group, you could replace with someone with that level of experience. This, to me, is a huge home run for Syracuse, especially if they can get that medical waiver. I think Chris Bleich is tremendously talented. He has the length of a tackle but plays with the mean streak of a, of a, a run-blocking interior offensive lineman. He certainly looks the part, plays with that nasty streak, and uh, I think he, with his athleticism and the way that he moves, it's going to be a great addition to this offense. He's going to be able to keep up with the tempo. You can have him you know, sprint to the outside and help you on some wide receiver screens. Uh, he can pull on some misdirection runs. There's a lot of different things that he can do, and I think he can really shore up that offensive line. I think that he is as big of a recruiting win as they had on signing day. And again, he won't factor into the ranking, but he is a huge win that's going to certainly impact the roster. Mike, now again, Bleich is a guy that if he gets his waiver, is going to have an immediate impact on the offensive line, possibly as a starter. Of the other signings from last week, who are some of the guys that you see making an immediate impact? It's always tough to me to have offensive linemen, even some defensive linemen, make an impact right away. But one guy that I'm looking at, we know that Syracuse has had issues at the offensive line. We've said that a couple of times um, last year. Well, Mark Petrie, the junior college transfer, who is uh, you know a German native, one of the two kids from Germany that's coming in, he's got the one year of experience at the junior college level. So I think he's got a shot to potentially make the two deep at one of the tackle spots. I know that 
people are not going to necessarily be overly excited about a junior college prospect that they slipped from that was previously committed to Eastern Michigan. But I would encourage people to go watch his tape because his tape is very impressive. I think he's got a tremendously high ceiling. Uh, Damian Alford, the wide receiver from Florida, one of their biggest recruiting wins, he's someone to look at because we know Syracuse has talent at the wide receiver position, but they don't have that big physical six foot five throw the ball up regardless of whether or not he's covered, and he can go get that jump ball and come down with it, even though fades two in the red zone, a la Steve Ishmael, Jamal Custis, and what they during their time at Syracuse. So to me, he fits a need and fills a void of something they don't have at that position, so it wouldn't surprise me if in certain packages he was able to get out there and see some time on the field. And then I know that Syracuse, you know, is is looking for some help at safety, you know, um, you know, some of the guys that have played there the last few years. So it wouldn't surprise me if a guy like uh, Ben Labrosse from Canada, you know, he doesn't have any other offers but Syracuse because he's from Canada and came down during a Syracuse camp, and that's where he earned his offer from Syracuse. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he got onto the field in some certain packages because he's extremely physical. Uh, he plays with a mean streak. He can really hit. And so bringing him in as sort of your uh, a linebacker safety tweener who can cover if needed if they go play action but can also come down and stop the run, I think he could potentially have a role not only there but on special teams. So those are kind of the three guys that I'm looking at, at least initially, uh, to, to make an impact right away. Mike, you talked about it earlier. Syracuse missed out on quarterback Cade Fortin, who committed to USF after putting his name into the transfer portal from UNC. This is the second recruiting cycle where Syracuse hasn't landed a target quarterback. Earlier this year, Tyler Van Dyke signed with Miami. In the previous cycle, Will Levies ended up at Penn State. I feel like Syracuse should be a destination for quarterbacks with the offense they run, and they always need quarterback depth especially with the injuries to Tommy DeVito last season and Eric Dungy before that. It always seems like there's going to be an opportunity to play. So why can't Syracuse land their guy and what can they do about it? Well, each recruitment, I think, kind of has its own um, situation that caused Syracuse to lose the guy that they were targeting. Now, there is a slight common thread in that it seems like other teams are negatively recruiting Syracuse and their quarterbacks coach Kirk Martin in that they're going to quarterbacks and saying why would you come here or why would you go there to a guy who doesn't have a resume of notable quarterbacks that he has coached and or developed whereas I do now what's funny to me about that is every single coach that is saying that at one point had no one on their resume and yet they are where they are right now saying this is how good of a quarterback's coach I, I am. Well, you were still a good quarterback's coach back then before you started developing that resume. So it's something that works with high school kids. And un- unfortunately, to some extent, I think with Cade Fortin, while there might've been a little bit of that from my understanding, it's South Florida was able to guarantee him a starting spot. Syracuse, could only guarantee that he'd be able to compete for a starting spot. And I think ultimately he decided since he had been at North Carolina, competed for a starting spot and lost, he didn't want to go through that again. So he decided he wanted to go to a place where he was guaranteed to be the guy. He's going to go to South Florida and be the guy. If he came here, there's, he would have a chance to beat out Tommy DeVito for the job, but there's every real, real possibility that Tommy DeVito would beat him out for that job. So I, 
I think ultimately he decided to go for the spot where he thought he had the best opportunity to play right away, and that's why they lost him. But I know for a fact with Tyler Van Dyke that um, the, the Miami coaching staff was, was negative recruiting the Syracuse coaching staff. The other funny part about that is Dino Babers and his trans, uh, track record with recruiting quarterbacks should be able to trump anything that Kirk Martin is perceived to lack in terms of coaching quarterback. So that's something Syracuse is going to have to figure out how to address with recruits so that it's not an issue because it is something other schools are doing. Um, but I do agree with you. With the offense, with Dino Babers, with everything else in place, the quarterback position should be something where Syracuse can get quality recruits. And I do think that that will start to happen, but it may end up taking until they send one to the league in some sort of high-profile fashion before that becomes a little bit more consistent. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one. You talked about quarterback being a position of need for the Orange. I also think they need some help on the interior defensive line. What will Syracuse address come February, and can they land that splashy recruit? I, d- I definitely agree with you on defensive line. I think if, if I'm sort of looking at how many positions are available and what spots they're going at, I think quarterback, they could take up to two, one being a transfer with experience, one being a high school prospect. I look at defensive tackle specifically. You know, they've got a couple of guys who can play defensive men in this class, Latari Kindler, Leon Lowry. Uh, Kevin Lemieux is kind of tweener, could end up growing into a tackle, might end up starting at end. But it wouldn't surprise me if they grabbed one or two more defensive tackles in this class. Um, And then I look at possibly adding another cornerback. I know they've got Chase Atkinson, who's still committed but didn't sign. He's going to sign in February. Um, And then linebacker, they've got, Stephon Thompson, potentially Justin Barron. He's an athlete who could play multiple positions. Wouldn't surprise me if they grabbed another linebacker and wouldn't surprise me if they grabbed another corner. So I'm kind of looking at one or two quarterbacks, one or two defensive tackles, one linebacker, one um, cornerback, and that would kind of wrap up the uh, 2020 recruiting class. Mike, thanks so much for coming back on the program again. Our friend Mike McAllister doing a great job over at 24-7 Sports. If you don't subscribe to CuseNation.com, you are missing out on quite simply the best Syracuse basketball and football recruiting information out there, hands down. Mike, again, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the lead-up to the February signing period. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Wes. I appreciate it. Great stuff from our friend Mike McAllister from CuseNation.com. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse with an 82-70 win over North Florida on Saturday evening. Syracuse improving to 7-5 on the season, but it wasn't easy. North Florida shot early and often from downtown, hitting 17 of 44 shots from three-point land, and that kept him in the game right up until the end. Brad, what were your overall thoughts on that game? Well, we, we know how young Syracuse is. We know the developmental part here of this. You know, I'm still going to refer to it as the pre-conference schedule even though, of course, Syracuse has played two conference games and are one and one in the ACC. I certainly, I still want to divide the schedule 13 and 18 for the 31 game schedule. So, taking a look at the 13 games, North Florida being the, the latest and the victory uh, over the Ospreys to, to get to seven and five. Uh, with Niagara coming up, you know, should win that game to get eight and five. When you look overall at that 13 games, maybe it's like two games off where I thought Syracuse may be, maybe three when you think about it, Wes, that 
you know, the Virginia game, it was at home, but they were a tough team. The, the first game out, really tough. Then those games uh, in New York were, were, were really going to be interesting to see against, you know, teams I thought they were pretty, you know, evenly matched, uh, a little bit younger maybe than a Penn State team and, and, and an Oklahoma State. But on a neutral court, those games to me really would stand out. And, of course, they dropped both those games in New York City. Uh, and then the Iowa game was next to see you know, how, how they would respond to that game, lost that game in the Dome. Then the George, uh, the Georgetown game, excuse me, the Georgia Tech game on the road, ACC responded to that game, uh, you know, in, in the best offensive performance uh, of the season to that point against, you know, a Power Five conference game. Then go on the road to Georgetown and, you know, drop that game to the Hoyas uh, by 10 points. So, you get these last two, uh, Oakland uh, and then North Florida, uh, contrasting fashions, but getting the Ws. So that development is really important. And we've talked about this in years past. You know, this is where Professor Bayheim has to do his, his work in the classroom. December is always a key month. You have the week off, the final exams. Then you come back and you can concentrate on practice and concentrate on improvement. He always gives the team off a couple of days around Christmas time, but usually depending on the schedule has them either come back to town on Christmas day evening or the next day right back to work. And that'll be the schedule this week with the final tune up against Niagara. So overall, from a general standpoint, looking at it, you know, from a 10,000 foot view down, I think things are on course because as you get ready for the ACC I don't like a lot of what I've seen so far from ACC teams, and we can get to that in a couple of minutes. But I think from a development standpoint, they're just about there, but maybe a couple of games off in New York, you know, from, from a record standpoint uh, in these first 13 games, Wes. And Brad, let's continue that line of thought. You're right. A lot of the ACC teams haven't been impressive so far in non-conference play. Of course, Syracuse among that group. The Orange is less than two weeks away from ACC play, which begins January 4th against Notre Dame. Can Syracuse get to that middle of the pack in the ACC and maybe even challenge for an NCAA tournament bid? I don't see why they can't get to the mid-level and be an NCAA team. And the reason I say that is because, again, I don't like what I've seen in the ACC so far. And, excuse me, you can take that one step further uh, on a national standpoint, the, the, there's no one that's jumping out in the college game. All the number one teams are losing. They're losing to good teams. Sometimes they're even losing at home on their home court. So I think you can extend that to the national basis this year in college hoops, West. And as now we backtrack to the ACC, I certainly see it there when, when you're talking to teams at the bottom of the rung. And, and, and I see Syracuse right at mid-level, and a lot of that has to do with Jim Beheim, his staff, his ability to develop as the season goes. Again, don't forget, where they are in recruiting, losing the scholarships, they have to be really you know, careful as to who they eventually bring in. They're going after the big names. They're finding out early if they're in the final running for the big four- and five-star players we've all you know, discussed each year. Then when they see where they are or aren't, settle in for, again, the kind of player that they need to fit in the system. And you see it again with this kind of team, how it's been piecemealed together with, you know, players from all over and the great job that 
the, the coaching staff has done to find these players. So I think the talent's there. I think the coaching staff can develop it. And the way the competitive landscape is in the ACC, I don't see why Syracuse, again, with how the schedule goes in the home-and-home series, they have Duke in North Carolina. Those games are in the Dome. NC State in the Dome. Tough at Florida State. Tough at Miami. But, you know, always two games with BC. Always two games with Pittsburgh. Uh, they've already won uh, at Georgia Tech. They get Georgia Tech in the Dome later. So I certainly don't think see why they can't be in, in that mid-level. And competing right on the fringe, 8-9 game in the ACC tournament, that sort of uh, kind of, uh, you know, pace to where they could be right on the bubble on the verge of making the NCAA tournament. Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. This time of year, and we've seen it often because Syracuse has only played in bowl games in 2018 and before that 2013, when the Orange are sitting on the sidelines west, it drives me nuts because so many teams qualify for college football bowl games. And the years that I see the non-conference opponents that Syracuse plays in bowl games, this year being Liberty and Western Michigan, and for that matter, even Holy Cross made the FCS playoffs. When I see those teams on the non-conference schedule in postseason play and Syracuse isn't there, it drives me crazy. Let's get back to a bowl game in 2020 for the football orangemen. Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse defensive end Chandler Jones, who with a sack on Sunday moved into a tie for 41st place on the all-time sacks list. Chandler Jones is just 29 years old, hasn't missed a game since 2015. If he keeps up this pace, we could be looking at an NFL Hall of Fame career for him. It's just another great example of Syracuse guys making a huge impact in the NFL. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that my car has tinted windows, but that's just from dirt. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Discover, this is Daniela. Hi, it's Jennifer Coolidge. I just want to thank you for making me feel so special. I earned cash back on debit for my dinner party groceries. That's great. But with Discover Cashback Debit, we give everyone cash back on everyday purchases. Anything else I can help you with? Do you like asparagus and mushroom sorbet? I've got leftovers. Introducing Discover Cashback Debit, a checking account with cash back. It pays to Discover. Eligibility in terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.